Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Well, it's great to see everybody here today. I hope you're getting excited about Thanksgiving week. How many of you are ready for Thanksgiving? Amen. I want to encourage you to take some time out to express your thanks, not only to God, but to family and friends who are significant in your life. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our series next week, but we're going to put a little Thanksgiving twist on it so you don't want to miss out next Sunday. Amen. We're in week four of our six-week series called Counterculture. Week number one, we talked about why your beliefs matter. Week number two, we talked about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made and all life matters. Last week, we talked about mirror, mirror on the wall and how we have a culture that is obsessed with self. And today, we're going to take another deep dive into another issue today, one of the trends that we're facing in our culture. Let's go right to the word of the Lord, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Amen. <clears throat> it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Amen. I want to talk on this subject here today, in his image. In his image. Now, one of the most significant cultural shifts that we are experiencing today is in regard to the question of gender and sexuality. And the cultural trends of believing that there is not just two genders, male and female, and also the issue of same-sex marriage, there is a connection between the two. And let me just say right at the beginning, I'm not going to say anything offensive today, but if you have small children and you don't want to have a conversation on the way home, you may want to make sure and check them into kids' church today. Amen? That's why we have it, by the way. Amen. But uh, it's certainly a trend that we're seeing right now, and I want to talk about this today. And I want to talk about this from a God-loving and God-honoring perspective. And I think if you stick with me through this message uh, by the end, uh, and I, I think you're going to feel the spirit of what we're trying to communicate today. But for thousands of years, civilizations have defined marriage as an exclusive covenant between a man and a woman. Amen? And now I'm going to have to have a little help. I ain't ashamed to admit it. Amen? Y'all going to have to help a brother out today. Amen? I found out that in the first service, they were, I was getting hate emojis and all kinds of stuff on the live stream. So... Uh, so, yeah, so you're going to have to help me out today. Amen. Amen. That rattled your boy a little bit. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> but, see, there's always been exceptions to this, but it was very rare, right? It didn't matter what culture or religion you were or were from. For the most part, marriage has always been defined as a covenant between a man and a woman around the world, right? Now, the redefining of marriage, though, and a lot of people don't understand this connection, it helps set the stage for the gender dysphoria that we are seeing all around us today. Let me just give you a little backstory. Back in 1996, politicians in our country passed something called the Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA. It was a bipartisan legislation. That means it was supported by Republicans and Democrats. And it was signed into law by President Bill Clinton. 
And the Defense of Marriage Act declared this, simply that no state is going to be required to recognize a same-sex marriage performed in another state. DOMA also defined marriage as being only between a man and a woman for purposes of federal law. But now later in 2013, the Supreme Court struck down most of the key elements of DOMA, which really threw the door wide open for the redefinition of marriage that has happened across the country. And immediately when the Supreme Court did this, many states began to allow same-sex marriages. And in June of 2015, the Supreme Court officially legalized same-sex marriage across the United States and they required every state to comply. And just like that, the entire landscape of how we define marriage and the family changed in this country. But what many people miss is that there was literally no gap between legally defining, redefining marriage and then an immediate push by gender activists to redefine what it means to be male and female. Okay, and there is a remarkable history in the gender activism revolution that includes some pretty nefarious characters. I don't have time to talk about that today. I just encourage you to do your own research, amen? But the legalization of same-sex marriages, hear me, it was much more consequential than what people believed it was gonna be. I said this back when it happened and I got labeled as a homophobic, but I'm telling you right now, it was not just about gay rights. It wasn't. As a matter of fact, even the gay community knew that. They understood this. Celebrated gay writer Michelangelo Signorli, he gave an insight into the strategy in 1996. This was way before. In a magazine, a prominent uh, gay magazine called Out Magazine. Here's what he said, and I'm just going to quote him. This is what he said. He said, the trick is gay leaders and pundits must stop watering the issue down and saying this is simply about equality for gay couples. And offer same-sex marriage for what it is, a chance to wholly transform the definition of family in American culture. This was an insider telling you what the agenda was. And he went on to say this. He said, our gay leaders must acknowledge that gay marriage is just as radical and transformative as the religious right contends that it is. Did you catch that? Radical, yes, but transformative, amen? It was not just about gay rights. This was about transforming our culture. That's why I'm having this series on counterculture and how we need to address some of these transformations. It was about redefining the moral landscape, not just about the traditional views of marriage, but also about men and women in general. Folks, it was never just about equal rights for gay people. Ironically, though, <clears throat> the very same month that the Supreme Court made the same-sex marriage law the, the law of the land, Bruce, excuse me, Bruce Jenner announced to the world that he was now Caitlyn Jenner. It happened the same month. And something clicked across this country. The transgender movement was off to the races, full force. Some of you will remember it. Now, for those of you who don't know much about uh, Bruce Jenner, Bruce Jenner was known as the all-American man. I remember eating cereal out of a box with Bruce Jenner's picture on the cover, amen, winning the 1976 gold in the Montreal Olympics, amen. I, I remember that. Bruce Jenner was a married man. He, he fathered children. It seemed that he had everything, really, that a man would want. 
He had an impressive athletic career. He had a family. He had a beautiful wife. He had fame. He had fortune. But in 2015, in an interview with Diane Sawyer, Bruce Jenner went public. And this is what he said. He said, for all intents and purposes, I am now a woman. Call me Caitlin. Now, how did our culture respond to Bruce Jenner, who was an American hero, now telling everybody that he had become Caitlyn Jenner? Well, this is what happened. In July of that year, Vanity Fair magazine featured him on their magazine cover. In August, Jenner won the Social Media Queen Award at the Teen Choice Awards. By the way, Teen Choice Awards are supposed to be voted on by children aged 12 to 19. In October, Glamour Magazine named him one of its 25 Glamour Women of the Year, calling him a trans champion. In December, he was named Barbara Walters, most fascinating person of 2015. He won the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at the Epsies in 2015 for being so courageous by identifying as a woman. See, but Jenner said something in that Diane Sawyer interview that I want to highlight and I want to go back to. He said this, and I quote, he said, I used to sit in church and always wonder, in God's eyes, how does he see me? That's a great question. Amen. That's a great question for Bruce Jenner asked. That's a great question. That's the right question, folks that we need to be asking right now. It doesn't matter what culture says, doesn't matter what politicians say, doesn't matter what entertainers say. What's important is, in God's eyes, how does he see this issue? And by the way, that's why I'm talking about this today, and and I'm just going to be a little transparent here, And, and that's part of the problem. A lot of people don't know what God says because people who are supposed to be talking about God are not saying anything about this. Amen. The pulpit cannot expect the pew to be informed if the pulpit is silent. And I'm going to just be honest again. I'm just, I take no pleasure in talking about this. This has been the most anxious, anxiety-filled week I've had in a long time. I don't like talking about this stuff. But I don't get to not talk about stuff I don't want to talk about. Amen. So what does God think? How does God see those struggling with their sexual identity? What does God think about people who, who might have a man's body, but they believe that they're, they have a woman's mind and soul, or maybe vice versa? What does God think about the questions and issues surrounding gender identity and transgenderism, and what should we think? And for that answer, come back next Thursday, you're, uh, next Sunday, you're dismissing Jesus. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That'd be like a really bad movie, uh, or your favorite TV series, Ending the season with somebody getting shot and you don't know what happens, right? No. So how do we respond? Well, if there is, if there was an issue that only, if this was an issue that only involved individuals in their private lives, I do think we could probably approach this a little differently. Amen? I don't have to agree with somebody to respect their right to privacy. Come on, I think we all can agree with that, right? But here's the deal. This does not just impact individuals. This is an issue that has been forced into the public forum and it is being championed in our culture. The media is now filled with transgender celebrities and people and messaging. The government is pushing the agenda and also pushing people in leadership that now identifies being trans. The entertainment industry is eaten up with the focus on this subject and it is being forced onto our children. 
Many public schools are actively educating our children about transgenderism, and in some cases, the indoctrination is beginning as early as kindergarten. This is not hyperbole. This is fact. Do your research. Amen. Public and, and school libraries now have books that normalize this behavior and even encouragement. And I just found out last week in my small group, these books are even in some Hanover County school libraries. They are. And we thought we just living in this nice, big, beautiful bubble in Hanover County. Amen? Come on. Another way they're targeting our children is with the fascination with drag queens. It's endorsed by the American Library Association, but the Drag Queen Story Hour now has over 50 chapters. This is as of 2020 and targets preschool and grade school children ages 3 to 11 with homosexuality and transgenderism in public libraries and school. Folks, taxpayer dollars are being used to pay these people who dress in drag and come into schools and libraries to try to normalize this stuff to small, impressionable children. New York City alone has spent over $208,000 of taxpayer money bringing Drag Queen Story Hour to their public schools, at least 34 different schools, and for children as young as the age of three. Now, I always believe if you really want to know what somebody believes, find out what they say. So you know what I did? I went to the Drag Queen Story Hour website, and I wanted to see what they said about themselves. Here's how they describe themselves. Are you ready? And by the way, after this week of studying, your boy had to clear his internet history. I ain't lying. <laughs> the stuff I've been getting, good Lord have mercy. Amen. But, but here's what they said about this issue. Are you ready? It's just what it sounds like. I'm quoting from the website. Storytellers using the art of drag to read books to kids in libraries, schools, and bookstores. DSH captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity of childhood and gives kids glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models. In spaces like this, talking about schools and libraries, kids are able to see people who defy rigid gender restrictions. And imagine a world where everybody can be their authentic selves. Did you catch some of those phrases? Gender fluidity of childhood, we want to capture that. We want to provide them queer role models. We want to defy rigid gender restrictions. Folks, what in the world are we allowing? Why are we allowing this nonsense to be given to our children? Amen? Amen. Come on, we now have lawsuits all over our country about bathrooms and locker rooms and children's privacy being violated by people of the opposite sex, amen? Come on, it's usually guys who are prancing around in girls' locker rooms. Come on, we have people now who are losing their jobs and their careers because they won't call somebody by their preferred pronouns. Just last month, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, you can read about it, they imposed a transgender pronoun mandate on their employees. I read the email that they sent out. They are instructing them that they are now required to affirm any co-worker's self-proclaimed gender identity and use their preferred pronouns and you are going to be forced to do this and, and even if it violates your own conscience or your convictions at risk of losing your job. And we just sat by with our arms crossed and we just wait for them to knock on our door. See, media and entertainment promote this agenda. They label those of us who hold traditional views as being old-fashioned or hate-mongers or homophobic because we are not buying into this delusion and we do not want it crammed down the throats of our children. 
Come on. We now have biological men breaking records in all kinds of women's sports because men who say they identify as women are allowed to compete in women's sports and use their locker rooms. For example, a biological male by the name of Leah Thomas, a self-described transgender athlete, was being considered for the 2022 NCAA Woman of the Year Award. Folks, I'm not making this up. And by the way, if you're all about women's rights, let me just say something right now. This agenda is wiping out all the advances made by Title IX of the Civil Rights Act that leveled the playing field for women, amen? It's being wiped out by men who can't beat other men. So they identify as women and they go and come on somebody, I'm just going to say it. So and they go in there and they brag about beating other women. First of all, it's not other women because you ain't a woman. It's not right. Even Caitlyn Jenner said it's not right. That's another story. Women's sororities now have so-called trans women joining them, moving in with women. who And these women joined female sororities because they wanted to be in sororities with women. There's a court case going on right now. I cannot even in this mixed audience tell you what they said that the trans woman in their sorority has been doing. And so they had to file a lawsuit to try to get this guy kicked out. Guess who got kicked out? The women who protested his presence. And most disturbing of all is the encouragement and the manipulation of children who are still minors often without any consultation to their parents, puberty blockers, hormones, gender modification surgeries, gender counseling that's being given to children and teenagers all over our country. And again, numerous lawsuits are playing out all around the world because a lot of times parents do not even know about it until it's too late. By the way, much of this, and I'm, I'm just going to say this, keep moving. This is not just being pushed by gender activists. This is also being pushed by big pharma, I'm talking about pharmaceuticals because all they see is dollars and they do not care about the irreversible damage that's being done to your kids or my kids. Come on. I'm just going to tell you, this is a multi-layered agenda. I could go on and on, but that's just a snapshot of today's culture. So before we begin to address questions and concerns, and by the way, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to define some terms. I'm going to talk to you about God's image, and then I'm going to talk to you about how the church should respond. But that's where I'm going we got to understand what we're dealing with, what the reasoning is behind this issue. And Nancy Pearson, who was a former agnostic, now she's a writer and professor of apologetics at Houston Baptist University, she's written about this subject extensively. And she kind of gives something that I think is very good to help us understand this conversation. And it's that she says there is a two-level way of thinking regarding sexuality and behavior. Level one is made up of science, facts, objective conclusions, valid truths for everyone. And then there's level two, which is how we think morally about things. It's a world of subjective conclusions, not necessarily a fact, but much of it is feelings and values about a particular thing. Now, as a culture, we have traditionally functioned at level one thinking, right? Facts, science, biology, Regarding pretty much everything, politically, economically, ethically. It's a, we've always traditionally operated at level one. Well, now over the last several years, we have shifted to level two. 
which is more sub subjective. It's based on personal values. It's based on personal feelings. We've, we've made subjective thinking more important than critical thinking. You hear it all the time. What matters is your truth or my truth. But here's the problem. It may not be the truth. If I hear the term, I've got to speak my truth again, I'm gonna, my head's going to blow up, amen? Is your truth the truth? Because if it's not, it's something else. It's called a lie, amen? There's not a multiplicity of truths. Now we're at the place where we have separated sex and gender, and we've separated the concept of your body from you, who you are as a person. So now people, now people are asking, what is a person? Right? Now, by the way, that's been the question that's central been to the abortion debate all along, right? What is a person? But now it has graduated to what is a woman? Right. What is a man? So let's define some of these terms real quickly about gender culture and what they're pushing. And I'm going to give you their definitions, right? And I, by the way, I agree with this first one. Are you ready? A person's sex refers to the biological classification of the person, male or female, based on their physical features. Your sex is determined by your biology at birth. Amen, I applaud that. That's right, right? But here's where it goes off the rails. A person's gender refers to their social or psychological classification of being a male or a female based on their personal perception of themselves. Amen. This is coming. This is where the level two stuff comes in, right? In other words, your gender depends on how you feel, what you feel about yourself, how you self-identify, what you feel like your gender is, and how you're choosing to do it. A person's gender identity, their inward feelings of their gender. I feel prone, I feel like a woman, or I feel like a man. It might be the same, it might be different as their biological sex. I'm happy to inform you. I have a declaration to make. I'm proud to tell you my sex and my gender are fully aligned. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Now, though, you can also have another term called gender fluidity. Did you catch that term in the, uh, the, the website definition on, on the drag queen? Gender fluidity. That means your gender can be fluid, or in other words, it depends on how you feel or what you feel about yourself or what gender you're choosing to identify with. It can change even. You're fluid. The idea that there's only two genders has now been labeled gender binary, the word binary means having two parts, referring to male and female. So now that gives uh, evolution to another term. People are identifying as non-binary. In other words, I'm not in either category. I'm not in one. I'm neither male or female. Amen. As a matter of fact, there are now multiple definitions and acronyms for gender identity. There's too many of them for me to articulate here. By the way, you may not know this. I, I went and checked it out myself today. Did you know there are 13 different gender options you can choose on your Facebook profile? 13, yeah. There are six different pronouns you can identify yourself with on your Facebook profile. Facebook, this is not a joke. Facebook used to have over 70 gender identifications. Until guess who asked them to change it? The trans community. And you know the reason why they said? They said people are not taking our cause seriously because you have put way too many genders out there that it's become a laughing issue. I, so I guess 13 is the magic number, right? <laughs> Apparently. 
And when someone is biologically one gender but feels in his or her mind that they are another gender, what's the street term for that? Transgender. But there is a proper medical term for that. It's called gender dysphoria. Now, they're not a fan of this term. That's the term that describes the unease that a person might have because of a perceived mismatch between their biological sex and what they consider to be their gender identity. That's the dysphoria. And in order to relieve the pain of this difference, folks, this is where we're at right now. Man, people, uh, some transgenders will cross-dress, some will get hormones treatments, some will have reassignment surgeries, and some of them are just suffering in silence. I'm going to talk more about that later, but we've got to be so quick not to label people or judge people. You do not know what people in this community are going through right now. You don't know. We hear a lot about LGBT. What does that stand for? It stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Now, when I was growing up, and then, there was two terms, straight, which was heterosexual, or gay, which is homosexual, right? It was not complicated. It's pretty easy, right? Well, now LGBT is actually LGBTQ+. And more specifically, oh, I need a drink of water for this one. It is LGBTQQIP2SA. I did not make that up. Now, there might be another letter posted before this, web, this sermon makes it to the website, but let me tell you what it means today. It means lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two-spirited, and asexual. That's what it means, two-spirited. Okay, so now are you ready for the understatement of this sermon? We are living in confusing times. Right? But hear me, folks. This is not just an attack on family values. This is an attack sometimes on our common sense. We need God's truth now more than ever before. Amen, we do. All right, now. I mentioned at the very beginning of this sermon that gay marriage and gender identity are two issues that are connected and have helped pave the way for each other. And I want to show you from Scripture that Jesus also connected the dots on this. Are you ready? Jesus was once asked a question about the nature of marriage. You can find it in Matthew 19. You can find it in Mark chapter 10. The question was specifically about divorce and the nature of marriage. But notice, Jesus did not answer the question. Jesus took them to a bigger issue to answer the question. I want you to see it in Matthew 19 and verse 3. He asked them to simply recall what God has said from the beginning. Are you ready? Here's what Jesus said when they asked him about marriage and divorce. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? Now imagine right now in this moment, they're probably like, okay, he's going to talk about Moses, he's going to talk about, uh, and they, they're, they're now, they, I mean, they're ready. They're ready. They're ready for whatever he's going to say about divorce. But guess what Jesus said? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Verse 5, and he said, now notice, and now he segues. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. 
In answering the question about marriage, Jesus said, you got to go all the way back to the beginning of creation, and you've got to look at what God said. God said, I made them male and female. He said, this explains why a man, him, leaves his father, him, and his mother, her, and is joined to his wife, her, and they are united as one, them. By the way, that's the proper use of pronouns. Amen? All right, so Jesus is telling us Adam and Eve's story is not just an old-fashioned Sunday school lesson. He's reminding us that this is the authoritative starting place and design where God considered what humanity was to be. He made us male and female, and that's it. Male and female, by the way, folks, it's not just about our appearances, our different ways of dressing, our different ways that we adorn ourselves, the different ways we wear our hair, the different ways we divide up our household chores. Male and female are what we are and what we're made to be. We are human in body, mind, and soul. Therefore, we are either male or female in body, mind, and soul. And our bodies do not tell us a lie to our minds and our soul about what we are. But unfortunately, a lot of people have gotten mistaken self-understanding or awareness of their bodies. But folks, hear me. I mean this with, with tenderness, and I'm not trying to sound abrasive when I say this. But that confusion is psychological or emotional or temporary. It is not physiological. Amen. It is not a part of God's design. So is my sex determined by my decision or by God's design? Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. See, creation is where the Bible story begins, and it's also where a Christian, our, our thinking about gender identity has got to begin there. See, the Bible tells us we did not just emerge by accident from some cosmic soup. Amen? Come on, it states clearly we have been created by a loving God. That means this is not a cultural issue. This is about people, real people. Individuals, each created and loved by God and who, like every single one of us, are lost without Christ. But why did God create humanity as male and female? Amen. It tells us very something significant about who we are, but it also gives us some insight into who God is. Amen. God did not just make a man because a man did not fully reflect the image of God by himself. God did not just make a woman. Only women, because women did not reflect the image of God all by themselves. So you know what God did? He made a man, and he gave us certain characteristics. He made a woman and gave her certain correct characteristics. He made both of us and gave all of us some similar characteristics. And all of these reflect the image and the beauty and the character and the personality and the profile of who God is. His attributes, his holiness, his righteousness, his temperament, his personality. It's all reflected in us. It's not just two different body styles. It's not just two different ways of being sexual. It's not just what we are assigned at birth. Male and female is the very reflection and image of God. By the way, human male, human female, and them alone. God didn't say that about anything else in his creation. We are the physical icons of the divine in this world. Men and women alone are like God, but not in the sense that we have all of his qualities and attributes, right? We're not God. He is infinite. We are finite. He is divine. We are human. He is spirit. We are flesh. But he gave us the power to reason, the ability to love, the ability to speak, 
the ability to make moral judgments, the ability to make decisions, good and bad. He gave us that ability. And hear me, though, even though he made us equal, men are no better than women, women are no better than men, he did not make us identical. Can, can, can everybody say thank you, Jesus? Hallelujah. Right? Now, right after verse 27, he gives us one of the reasons that he made us male and female. Are you ready? Here it is in verse 28. Then God blessed them and said what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Folks, hear me. This command can only be fulfilled by the fact that he made us physically different male and female. Amen? Come on, I don't need to get into a lesson in anatomy to explain to you. Thank God that the plumbing is different. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. And hear me, I'm just going to say it. All of these uh, same-sex marriage couples that are adopting children, guess what? They can only get children from males and females who have created those children. It still goes back to God's design. Amen. Don't miss that part. He could have created. And, and you know what's cool about the creation story? God made Adam. We know that. We, he created. And you know what's cool? He left Adam alone long enough so that Adam knew he was alone. And by the way, men, <laughs> you might think you can do life alone. Now, you can be single, but you still can't be alone. That's why you need men in your life brothers in your life. You need good godly mothers in your life. Come on, somebody. You need a church. We can't do this by ourselves. But you know what I love about it? God made all of his creation. Then he made Adam and Adam alone, and Adam realized there was nobody else like him. So you know what he did? He created a woman. But don't miss this part. He didn't just reach down in the dirt like when he made Adam. Why didn't he just reach down in the dirt? And make Adam just like he made, I mean, make Eve just like he made Adam. He instead, the Bible says, took a rib from the side of Adam. And he formed the first woman, Eve. And look what Adam says in Genesis 2.23. This is now bone of my bones. That's my girl. You better not mess with her. <laughs> and Adam said it at a level nobody else has said it at. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I love this verse from the New Living Translation. It starts off like this. At last, the man exclaimed. I could just hear Adam right now channeling his inner Etta James. At last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over. Come on over here, Eve. Come on over here, girl. Come on over here, girl. Hallelujah. I heard one preacher say he called her woman because when he looked at her, he said, whoa, man. Whoa, man. See, what a moment, though. Think about it. God let Adam realize he needed someone, somebody equal to him but different. Somebody who could help him accomplish things he could never do by himself and somebody who needed him to accomplish things that she could not do by herself. Someone who could be all the things that he was not. Someone that he could do the same thing for. Men and women are different, but our differences are complementary. 
He made us different because we all have different roles and different functions in the design of the family, in society. Come on, with our children, in our communities. God in his image said, I can't just make a man. I can't just make a woman. I've got to capture my image in two different beings. And then in the very, these are the same passages that Jesus referred to, Genesis 2, 24. This is why. A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. In describing this exact moment when the man leaves his father and mother and becomes one flesh, Pastor David Platt said it this way, and it was so beautiful, I'm just going to quote him. He said it this way. Behold the beauty of God's design for man, woman, and marriage. Two dignified people, both molded in the image of their creator. Two diverse people uniquely designed to complement each other. A male and female fashioned by God to form one flesh. A physical bond between two bodies. I love this part. Look, where the deepest point of union is found at the greatest point of difference. A matrimony marked by unity and diversity, equality with variety, and personal satisfaction through shared consummation. David Platt said, There's no stronger physical bond. The deepest point of our union is found in our greatest points of difference. John Wyatt in his book, Matters of Life and Death, he talked about two different ways of looking at human existence. He said the first way of looking at human existence, he called it the Lego kit view of the human body. Here's what he, and with that view, you know, you believe that maybe we just emerged from some primeval source, but then, and we believe that there's really no, no, no central design. We're just simply a collection of parts that can be changed or interchanged and adapted as we like. You can, you can try to improve and, and maybe upgrade to a different model. You can reprogram the machine because maybe that's what we are. You, the structure of the body is value-free. So if you want to change your sex or if you want to add this or you want to take this away, that's fine. In the words of the old Lego ad, he said it this way, the only limitation is your own imagination. Then the other way of looking at human existence he called the art restoration view. You hear me, folks? That's what we are. We are not Legos with interchangeable parts. We are flawed masterpieces. Made divinely and uniquely by our Creator. If you see a work of art and you're asked to restore it, you don't look at it and you say, well, you know what? That would look a whole lot better with a pair of glasses. Right? You don't look at the Mona Lisa and say, man, I wonder what she'd look like with red hair. Let me just go ahead and paint over that. Right? No, 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 no. With an art masterpiece, you don't say, you know, this scene would just look better with a car instead of a horse. To do that, you break the code of the art restorer. Art restorers know that their job is to bring out the artist's original intention. They will spend hours, an art restorer will spend hours examining the brush strokes of the original artist. So that when they restore it, they can actually mimic not only the colors but the brush strokes of the original design. Amen. And they study the work and the painter so that they can carefully get back to what it once was, to restore it to what it was, the work so that people can see the original in all its glory. Folks, hear me. Humanity is the work of a divine artist, a divine creator. Unique brush strokes in every life. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. Hear me, identity is not for us to create. 
Society is trying to tell us that sexual differences are just a social construct. That is not true. It sounds very freeing when you say, well, just be free to be what you want to be. But that way of thinking, your identity is completely invented. It's therefore fluid and therefore it is profoundly unstable. The suicide rate in the trans community is far greater than in other communities. You know why? They have an unstable identity and view of themselves. True, and not to mention the oppression that they get from culture and society. I'm going to talk about that too as the church. We should not be oppressors. We should be liberators. I'm going to talk about that. But see, true freedom is found not in asserting radical independence from God's agenda, but it's in being who we were made to be. Flaws and all. Complicated issues and all. Conflicting views of ourself and all. See, true freedom is found in embracing and being who we are by God's design. When Satan first, and I'm taking a little longer today as I've done in most of these messages. When Satan first deceived humanity, he did it, how? By attacking and casting doubt upon God's word. Think about it. Satan asked Eve, did God really say, did God really say don't eat of that? But see, Satan casts doubt and confusion. Jesus tells us that that is Satan's precise Character, the father of lies, amen? And by redefining both marriage and the very meaning of what it means to be male and female, folks, it is not just tradition or morality or biology that is being attacked. Satan is attacking the very truthfulness of God. He is attacking God's very image and his likeness in creation. When God looks at you as a man or a woman, he is offended. I'm sorry, when Satan looks at you, as a man or a woman, he's offended because he sees the image of God. When we're told today that male and females are merely cultural constructs or gender stereotypes, that we are merely assigned or identi- our identity as male or female and we can be whatever we want, we need to recognize whose voice we are listening to. That is not the voice of God. In the garden, Satan got the man and woman to doubt what God said, and today he's getting our culture to doubt God's design. For us as male and female. We cannot ignore this issue, folks, because it's been brought to our homes. It's been brought to our children. It's been brought to our communities. Amen? Come on. We got to raise up and rise up, church. Come on. We can't be silent. Make no mistake. Satan is attacking the image of God. Marriage, mothering, fathering, procreation, life, sexuality. Children, family, these are all wrapped up together and are divine in origin. And Christians, we've got to see the bigger picture. So how do we respond as Christians, as the church, as the body of Christ? I want the praise team and musicians to come on up. First of all, number one, are you ready? You got to be quick to repent and slow to judge. Amen. All right, I'm going to help us. Whenever we are confronted with an unbiblical lifestyle or a cultural shift that we disagree with, and it could be this issue, it could be many other issues, hear me. The church should first remember that we are people who have been redeemed from our own state of sinfulness. All right? Every time you point a finger at somebody, there's four pointing right back at you. 
What am I talking about? For every person in the world who is struggling with gender or sexual identity issues, hear me. There are people in the church who are struggling with lying, adultery, prejudice. Come on, somebody. You name it. See, church folks are quick to point out that the Bible calls homosexuality an abomination. And it does. I had a huge argument one time with some pastor friends of mine about 10, 15 years ago because they were just railing on homosexuals. And I said, you do know that the Bible says there's more abominations than homosexuality, don't you? They were almost treating them like they were in their own class of sinners. But you know what the Bible says? You know what an abomination is, by the way? It's something that God hates. But let me tell you what else God hates besides homosexuality. Proverbs 6 and verse 16. Are you ready? I love what the writer says. There's six things the Lord hates. No, wait a minute. Seven things. And I bet if he thought longer, he'd have thought about seven more things, right? Here's what he said. Are you ready? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in the family. Folks, that is all up in the church. It's all up in the church. And if you don't believe it, you're in denial. Amen? So be quick to repent. Be slow to judge. Second thing we got to do, we got to show love. Show love. We got to be mindful of those who are broken and wounded by the transgender identity crisis, and we got to care deeply for those who are in the midst of struggle. Show love, real love. We need to help people that are struggling with gender dysphoria to find their identity in Christ and to help those who have been hurt by others find the healing and relief that only Jesus can bring. Show love and empathy. Amen? Because, again, let me tell you something. Unless you have had a conversation with somebody who's going through this, Unless you have sat out with a family that is dealing with you do not know how complicated this issue is. You don't know how painful this issue is. And we're so quick to judge people that are trapped in this when you do not know the level of conflict and eternal pain that many of them are dealing with. Come on, I got to say it. Because as a church, we have been far too guilty for far too long of pointing fingers of condemnation. And people that don't measure up to what we think is right when we totally ignore the mirror, mirror on the wall, all the stuff that we're dealing with ourselves. Show love. Here's the third thing we got to do. We got to pray. Everybody say pray. Pray that God will open blinded eyes. Pray that God will give hope to the hopeless. Pray for the hearts and minds of our children that are being hammered with this agenda everywhere they go. They are impressionable. Their minds are fluid. And, and some of them are being confused. Pray for pastors and counselors who are trying to help people find their way. Pray that the truth will set people free. Pray that we elect people that can help overturn some of these laws and not spend taxpayer dollars on drag queens coming to kindergarten classes. Come on, somebody. I know you're getting quiet. That's all right. You always get quiet when I talk about politics. We got to make sure we vote in people to the best of our ability that will help us go in the right direction. Here's the fourth thing we need to do. We need to demonstrate biblical masculinity and femininity. Biblical. 
We got to model for our kids and the world what it means to lovingly live out true manliness and, and femaleness. I could do a whole message on this subject. Because right now, another thing in culture, they are trying to squash masculinity and femininity. I'm not talking about toxic masculinity. But folks, we need to celebrate men being masculine and women being feminine while realizing that there can be a wide difference of interest and temperaments while still maintaining distinction between the sexes. I'm just going to tell you, we got to own some of this problem. You know why? We have eliminated lines of demarcation between the sexes. Some of you won't agree, but part of the problem is we have blurred the lines so much, people are so confused, they don't even know how they're supposed to act. Amen? Not only our behavior, but our appearance. I still think our appearance can reflect being men and being women without being legalistic. Amen? Come on, our hairstyles, our clothing, our choices of accessories, the way we carry ourselves, we can still dress, act, and conduct ourselves in a way that demonstrates our differences. Not long ago, I was getting a haircut a couple months ago, and Pastor Rodney and I, we actually get our haircut at the same place. And so I went in, and I sat down, and I was waiting, and the lady that cuts my hair, the, the, the person in the chair had their back toward me. And man, her hair was so beautiful. It was long and full. I'm telling you, it looked like a shampoo commercial. I mean, I mean, she was blow drying her hair. I almost videoed. I was like, man, this looks like it ought to be on a, a shampoo commercial. And then something happened. The chair turned. And I saw this. I saw a beard. I saw an old scraggly man's face. And literally, guys, in my chair, I went like this. I kid you not. It so rattled me because I couldn't wait to see the pretty face of the lady with the long hair and instead this dude with this ugly mug. And I tell you, I didn't look at him no more because he looked like he could beat the fire out of me. I did sneak a picture though real quick. <laughs> and I sent it to Rodney and my wife and I thought, you ain't going to believe what this is. I couldn't tell the difference, y'all, from behind. Until he turned around. What am I saying? I do think there's ways we can express ourselves as men and women that help children understand what it's like to be a man, what it's like to be a woman. Can everybody say amen? Now, I'm, I'm going to say one more thing about this while I'm here. We've also got to quit getting freaked out when little boys have some girlish tendencies or when little girls sometimes act like tomboys. Come on, somebody. You don't have to be a manly man to still be a man. Come on. We are just wired that way, folks. Some men have some tendencies that are not as masculine. Some women have some tendencies that are maybe not as feminine. But they are still boys. They are still girls. The answer is not hormone therapy and chopping up their bodies to redefine their gender. Come on. Now, y'all know me. I'm all about it. I'm all about little boys scraping their elbows. I'm all about them losing and not getting trophies. I'm all, but I'm, I'm telling you. But we've got to understand, you can't pigeonhole every boy into the same category. And Because you, you know what we're doing? We are sowing seeds of doubt in these children that may not measure up to what you think a boy should be or what you think a woman should be. I'm trying to help y'all right now. I'm trying to help you right now. You know what we know? And what experts will tell you, 
the overwhelming majority of these things take care of themselves over time if we lovingly affirm them and just show them the way. Amen? Can my counselor on the front row say amen about that? That's right. Fifth thing we got to do, stand up for truth. Quit feeling like you have to apologize for standing up for the truth. Speak truth with grace and love and conviction. Amen? That's what I'm trying to do today. Amen? And you can do it too. It's okay to be who you are and quit feeling like you got to be backed into a corner by a very small minority of people that are trying to change the agenda. You can live out your convictions without projecting condemnation. And then the last thing I want to say is offer hope. Offer hope. we got to hold out hope to those who may feel like there's still no hope for them. We've got to extend hope to people that are confused or that are struggling or maybe they're in the midst of a journey. I want to end with a true story, Laura's story. Laura was a single woman in her 40s. She had curves, shining blonde hair, red lipstick. She grabbed the attention of both men and women whenever she entered a room. One day while meeting with her counselor, she asked him if he could help her find a church. She hadn't been to one in years, but recently she wanted to learn more about God and what God thought about her life. That conversation led Laura to try out many different churches. Many rejected her when they found out her story, but one church accepted her, helped her, and when she confessed her darkest secrets, they set up a special prayer team for her. Each week she wrote a letter to a group of 30 in the church who committed to pray for her. Now, as you probably have already guessed, Laura was not a traditional woman. Laura was a surgical woman. She was born a he. Her birth name was Walt. Walt grew up distant from his parents. As a child, Walt stayed, when he stayed at his grandmother's house, she made him wear girls' clothes. His grandfather repeatedly molested him. As a young man, he confessed his sexual shame and guilt to a priest And instead of helping him, the priest sexually propositioned him. Thankfully, Walt ran, but he didn't just run from the priest. He ran from God. Walt said that as a boy, for as long as he could remember, he always felt that deep inside he was a woman. As a young man, he repressed those feelings. He married. He had children. He went on to work at NASA in the Apollo program. He later worked for Toyota and was part of the team that birthed the accurate car line. All the guilt and sexual shame of his youth never went away. It came bursting to the surface. He could no longer deny it. Deep inside, he felt he was a woman, not a man. So eventually, he divorced his wife, and he left his family. Trying to be true to his inner self, he underwent sex change surgery to become a woman. Even after becoming a stunning woman visually, he discovered it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. He knew something wasn't right. He wondered what God would say to him about his life. That is when he began his search for a church. As already mentioned, a church and a minister eventually took him under their wings. After listening to God's word and studying it, Walt Walt repented of his sin and he gave his life to Jesus. God's spirit made it unmistakably clear that God's will for his life was to be the biological gender God assigned him at birth. But his struggles didn't magically disappear. In his biography, Walt described years of wrestling with his gender identity. He worked a job as one gender and he lived at home as another gender. He changed his cars on the way home, his clothes in his car on the way home from work. 
Even though he knew what was right, he couldn't shake his inner female gender identity. But then a therapist noticed something. This therapist noticed that the Walt side of him acted one way and the Laura side of him acted another way. The Laura side of Walt had different handwriting and even different taste in food than the male side of Walt. Walt was eventually diagnosed with a multiple personality disorder that developed in his early childhood when as a child trying to deal with the shame of molestation, his brain developed the alternate personality of a woman. After years of therapy, his multiple personality disorder was solved and today he is one person. He is a man all the time. His name is Walt Heyer. Now, amen. Walt, he grew in his faith. He eventually met a woman and married her. He went on to become the director of care ministries at a large church in California. And even though God has turned his life around, he still suffers from the results of the life-altering, irreversible sex change surgery. He now has a letter of apology from the physician that performed his surgery, asking forgiveness for performing the irreversible surgery and not digging further to discover that his identity order came from a psychological condition. Today, Walt runs a website, I should have put it on the screen, sexchangeregret.com. I'm going to say it again in case you're watching online, sexchangeregret.com. He is the author of many books that tell the other side of gender dysphoria that you don't hear about in the media. And the reason I told this story is you also don't hear about it in the church. I'm just telling you, we're so quick to point our fingers without understanding the whole story. I want you to stand with me all over this house. Church family, we got to offer hope. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the hope for Bruce Jenner, the hope for Walt Heyer, and the hope for countless people in our community is not to disfigure their bodies with surgery, not to pollute their systems with hormones. What they need and what all of us need is a new birth in Jesus. Amen? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray. I'm going to open up this altar, and I just invite you to come. First of all, I'm going to say this. I'm looking in the camera. If you're struggling with sexual identity, I want you to know, not every church has handled it right. We have not always handled it right, but I want you to know this is a safe place. We will try to help you. We'll try to help you on your journey, amen? And if we can't help you, we'll try to point you to people who can, amen? Because I'm telling you, we've all got issues. We've all got issues. But you know what I want us to do, Life Church? I want us to, number one, pray that what I just said are not just words, but that we will actually be that kind of community. And number two, I want us to pray that the light of revelation would shine. And people will find out, you know what? I can still be the sex that God assigned me to be. I might have conflicting thoughts. I might have, I might deal with a bunch of mess my whole life, frankly, but who is it? But that God can help people find their lane and walk in it and be who God created them to be. And I want us to pray that God would give us a heart. Give us a heart of love and not condemnation. A heart of grace and not judgment. Come on. A heart that will speak the truth in love and not in vengeance and in hate. 
Because I'm telling you, what you say, how you say is just as important as what you say. So as we begin to sing this song, I want to invite you to step out from where you are. I want you to come forward and I want you to just ask the Lord to help us. God, I want you to baptize us with love. I want you to touch us, God, right now. Help us to be that kind of church. Come on. I want you to pray for people in your circle that might be struggling with gender identity or, or with sexual issues in their own life. Pray that God would help you to love them and not judge them. Be there to help them when they're ready. Amen. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this opportunity. Help us, Lord. Come on, folks. We've all got hang-ups. We've all got issues. God, help us. Help us to be real. Help us to be genuine. Help us to be authentic. Come on. It's a difficult cross to bear. But you can do it in Jesus' name. Come on, I want to speak life right now. You can do this in Jesus' name. God will help you. God will help you. God will help you. God will help you.
to help you. Ask God to help you with your own issues. Ask Him to give you a heart for people that are struggling and need hope. Come on. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. their potential and he knows that they're a reflection of your image 
I pray against the culture of death that has permeated this country, God, through abortion and through euthanasia, through suicide and through murder and through crime. God, we just need light to shine. We need hope to be restored. We need the church to be salt and light. Help us, God, to fulfill your mandate to the world. Thank you, Lord, that we are created in your image. Thank you, God, that flaws and all, you still love me. And we thank you. We give you glory and praise. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.